Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Maconnect, the podcast brought to you by Maco. Over the last five episodes, I've sat down with not only key figures within Maco, but also external figures from around the fenestration industry, such as Lynn Paul from Secure by Design, Paul Stevens from Vika's Independent Network, and of course, Andrew Scott, owner of the Escott Group, who created the industry's only summit, the Glazen Summit. Continuing that trend of finding influential and interesting people and companies from around the fenestration industry, I'm really, really excited today speaking to um, Darren Lester, creator of a platform called Specified Buy, which is a dedicated platform built for not only fenestration, but also the wider construction industry, including fenestration, of course, to specifically target architects and specifiers. Darren, thank you for joining me today on the UK's dedicated fenestration podcast. I have wanted to have you on from the moment we conceptualized the podcast. It's brilliant, really, to welcome you actually on now um, onto Maconet. Thank you very much for, for having me. Pleasure to be here. No, it's, it's great. And, you know, in the planning for all this, we, we, it looks like we have got a fair bit to get through today, um, but in a really good way, because there is just so much to talk about when not only marketing to architects and specifiers, but also the platform itself, specified by and how that feeds into that. So I'm going to jump straight into it, into a question. Um, what, why, even if, is marketing content needed specifically for architects or specifiers? Is that important for all parts of the fenestration industry? Uh, yeah, so I, I think with this one, um, the, the way we kind of look at things, our, our view on this is, I think with a lot of building product companies and or maybe to be a bit more specific, the, the marketing teams um, within building product companies can sometimes get a bit maybe too hung up on you know, what specific types of content they need or don't need when uh, targeting architects and specifiers. Ultimately, what architects and specifiers care about is whether your products help them achieve whatever it is that, that they're trying to achieve in their project. And that almost always comes down to uh, technical performance uh, or the aesthetics of, of your products or a combination of those. So making sure those things are front and center and easy to access is, is critical. Mm. But I, I think one of the, the big challenges that it, it seems that, you know, there's always a new kind of so-called silver bullet, which is going to solve all your needs um, when it comes to, you know, marketing to this audience. But of course, you know, there never <laughs> is that silver bullet and, and there, you know, there, there never will be no, um, in likelihood. Um, so, you know, if, if we take something like uh, BIM objects as an example, which, you know, was for most companies something they've, they've probably come across or heard a lot about, um, you know, essentially through 2015 um, through 2016 and, and beyond with the government mandate that came in around then, you know, there, there was a real gold rush of, um, you know, vendors selling objects to to manufacturers and in a lot of um, cases it was sold as as the silver bullet of you know if, if you have BIM objects you'll get specified more often or, or okay. you know um, you need to get BIM objects or you'll, or you'll be left behind you'll go out of uh, business um, so that sort of rhetoric you know the, there was a lot of and you know without going down sort of the BIM object rabbit hole too far because it's just one example you know, essentially that, that wasn't really true and, and wasn't the case, you know, ha- having BIM objects or not having BIM objects ultimately doesn't have a, a huge 
impact or any impact at all on whether your products get specified or not. <laughs> and, you know, really the same thing goes for, uh, we see the same thing with, um, you know, content like CPDs, structured product data, which is kind of starting to become the new BIM trendy thing to talk about, um, you know, uh, different certifications uh, from different organizations, pre-written specification clauses, you know, all of these things which can be great to have, but in isolation are, are not going to have, you know, this massive impact on how often, um, you know, your products are specified or, or they're not. and. So if you know if we really break things down and really simplify it, the way we look at it is that there's really only two things ultimately which impact whether your product will be specified on a on a particular project or not, okay. uh, and that's firstly specifiers actually need to find your products and assess it in their research stage, so they obviously need to be aware that your your product exists, mm-hmm. um, and then secondly of all the products that make it into that research process, because there will probably be a few that people are looking at um, as part of that process that you then uh, turn out to have the best quote unquote product for that particular project. And, you know, when I say best, that's very subjective and, and best will be different depending on the particular project and the requirements or the particular specifier or the client's preferences. So, you know, when I say best, that could mean any combination of variables. It, it could be technical performance. It could be sustainability. It could be price. It really depends on the on the situation. Yeah. But ultimately, it will be the best product, whatever that means in that scenario that, that will be specified. And so, you know, if if you don't, if you think about what happens if you don't have those things. Um, and, and why, you know, essentially nothing else really matters in comparison. You know, if specifiers don't know about your product and don't ever discover it and don't ever, it never makes it into their research process, then, you know, if not impossible, it's certainly going to be very difficult to, to, yeah. to get specified. Um, and then secondly, if your product actually turns out to just not be suitable, for a project or there is just clearly a better product for a project based on their specific requirements, then again, it's probably quite likely that you won't uh, get specified in, in that particular instance. Um, so, so I think all of this means that, you know, many of the solutions that, you know, are sold to building product companies in terms of marketing with, you know, th- this kind of tagline of, you know, you, you do this and you get specified quite often actually influence the processes in, in, in different ways. So my, my advice generally would be if you focus on those two things, first and f- foremost, and worry less about whether you, know, you have this type of content or not, or that type of content or not, um, then you won't go too far wrong. Yeah, and that's really interesting to hear that quite clear perspective. And I think you're right in the sense that sometimes we do all try looking for silver bullets and overcomplicate things and sign up to this and go down this rabbit hole and thinking that's the one thing that we need to to give a certain target audience when actually there is no one one silver thing and making sure that your information is correct and factually correct and available to those people you want to be in front of at all times and readily available is is the best sort of solution making sure they get that information 
Now, in terms of focusing on those two things, you know, making sure one that it gets in front of them and it gives them the things that they, they need, it needs to be correct for the project, et cetera. Can you expand on what those mean in sort of practical terms? Yeah. Um, so I think first and foremost, this, you know, means making your products accessible and visible in the places where specifiers uh, go looking for products, which, you know, actually is a lot more limited than, than probably most people would intuitively imagine. So actually specifiers really only go looking for products uh, and information for the research process in three, not three specific um, places, but three types of places, I guess. Okay. Um, all of which are online and, and those are search engines. So people um, searching on Google, for example, um, product listing websites. So sites that, that collate lots of product information from lots of different manufacturers in one place. And then obviously your actual, your own website, the manufacturer websites um, themselves. Um, although with, with those, what I would say is actually a lot of the traffic that, that ends up there and the people that go there, potentially came from the search engines and the product listing websites as, as well. Um, so actually in, in terms of where, if, if a specifier has that need to, I need to go find um, whatever type of product that does X, Y, and Z, you know, those are the, the things that people will turn to because that's where they can, they can get the information. So actually it's maybe not as big a, a task as, as you might assume to sort of figure out are we actually visible in the places that, that architects and specifiers are searching? Yeah. Then the kind of the second bit is about, you know, the, the clear communication and making things easy for the specifier. So obviously if you work in sales or marketing, um, then there's probably not much you can do about your actual products in terms of how they actually perform, what they actually do. Um, but what you can do is make sure that your product communication and the information that you provide is on point. And this essentially means, you know, understand exactly who the right specifier is for your uh, type of product and, and what information they need. And mm. so, you know, that, that then means understanding, you know, what are the best types of projects and use cases for your products um, and how can you demonstrate how they've been used successfully on those you know, types of projects and those use cases, which will attract more of those projects and, and use cases. Uh, so, you know, a big part of that then is translating the technical details of your products, um, you know, the, the, the specification data, all of that um, useful information into understandable benefits mm. and making so it's not just a list of here's all the you know the technical criteria it's actually what does that mean whenever it's used in a, in a project and the benefits of that so you're making it as easy as possible really for those target specifiers to you know very quickly and, and easily understand whether your product actually is the best for a particular project uh, and then to make the decision to you know to specify your product so you know, as I mentioned, you, you perhaps can't make your products better and that's outside of your control. But I think we can all definitely make sure to communicate their strengths and to do that side of things a bit better. Yeah, and it's interesting because it sounds so simple. 
but the, yeah. these, these are all the things that that you know that sound simple, but not many actually do in in a really concise and and excellent way. Obviously, um, so I think that's a really valuable bit of content that we can all everyone can take listening from this, who want to be in front of architects and specifiers or wondering what information they need. And actually, instead of overcomplicating it and maybe looking for that silver bullet, just go back to the basics and go. Let's make sure we get the right information in the right way to the right people. And it's um it's interesting earlier on you, you touched upon slightly and I'm going to backtrack a little bit on on CPDs, and it's something even in my relative short experience compared to most in the fenestration industry at least is something that as you said seems to be increasing and it's certainly a you know it can be a very unique way to stand out and deliver content on an educational platform that provides the information and the content that you know you just mentioned and that sort of educational content is something that even across marketing channels is being spoke about a lot more. Make sure your content's educational and people can learn something from it as well, of course, being interesting and exciting, et cetera, et cetera. So staying with, with CPDs, quick question. And you know, personally for me, and I hope everyone else finds it interesting, do all CPDs have to be approved in any way or can they form just part of that specific content creation we've just mentioned to deliver all the information? But what's what's the sort of the deal with the CPDs as such? Yeah, so with CPDs, I think there is this very uh, common uh, misconception within the, the market um, where, you know, th- there is this belief or this understanding that uh, you need to have your CPDs uh, certified or, or accredited but the the kind of the short answer to the question is is actually that no that 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 CBD content doesn't need to be approved or, or certified by anyone in order to you know be able to provide it and for it to provide value uh, and essentially the the kind of the basics behind why that is is that architects uh, can pretty much submit anything they want where they've learned something as a cpd so it doesn't necessarily have to be in the sort of the formal presentation type format that, that most of us think of when we think of cpds you know the, the manufacturer presentations and actually probably most of what an architect will submit each week, each year uh, sort of against their cpd requirements won't be that sort of formal uh, kind of format and, and presentation so Really, what we talk to a lot of companies about is that if if we kind of understand that and and we accept that you don't have to have your CPD content approved or certified by anyone, really the question is then, or the question becomes, is there any commercial benefit in doing so? Mm. And you know, this is something that we've done a bit of a bit of research on to try to to understand a bit more. So. Just to kind of go back, you know, to, yeah. to earlier on in, in the year, we, we launched this um, weekly email newsletter when lockdown started in, in March, where basically the idea was, you know, as, as things were getting locked down and we were seeing companies switching or having to switch from doing face-to-face CPDs to online CPDs, you know, j- just the, the struggle that everyone in the market was facing at, at that point we kind of thought, you know, maybe there's a way that we can help here. And, and so we, we quickly sort of fired up this, this weekly newsletter where companies submit 
information about their CBDs and webinars and things that they're hosting. And then we promote them to around 30,000 our text and specifiers by email every Monday. Okay. Uh, so, so we started that back in March, but fast forwarding from that after, you know, 10, 15 weeks of that, I think it was, and we had sort of promoted hundreds of CPDs and, and we decided to sort of analyze the data from those emails in terms of the click-throughs um, from every CPD that we had promoted. Uh, and one of the things that we had was every CPD included in the newsletter also had their relevant certifications listed alongside them. So if they were REBA certified or SIBC or CPD UK or whatever, yeah. uh, and each of them then had a link to where the specifier could book a session or register or, or contact the company. So, you know, we were just able to essentially look through all of this click data um, and split it up into, you know, certified and not certified CPDs and actually compare if, you know, it, the idea being that if having certified content appeals more to architects and specifiers or they yeah. value it more, Okay. You would expect to see you would expect to see more clicks for yeah. the the certified content, but actually, what we seen was there was there was basically no difference at all. They were almost exactly the same. Actually, the CPDs without certification had a very very tiny um, increase in in clicks, but not significantly that you would say actually there's a benefit in not having it. It's just that it's shown us that the or the conclusion we came to was that having the certification doesn't actually make make any difference to whether people are more interested in it i think what it comes down to is and the most important thing is you know whether you provide engaging educational valuable content and interesting topics and if you can do that you know the architect will be happy you'll have a, a new admirer who you know gets that you guys get what you do and, and you're experts in your topic, which then ultimately might lead to some business further down the line. Mm, that's, you know, again, it sounds so simple, doesn't it? But again, the, the key takeaway from that really, and I suppose relinking it to the premise of the earlier questions and what we've been talking about so far, is just to go ahead and start creating and communicating rather the, the content you have and making sure it's clear and concise and useful and, and up to date. Creating these CPDs and being in and on these places you mentioned earlier, certified and non-certified, etc., without having to necessarily get your CPDs certified, does that give you extra flexibility? Does it mean you can create and execute? I suppose it means you can create them a lot quicker and create them about whatever you want. Have you got a sort of a, an angle on that at all? Yeah, so you know, we'd actually go as far to suggest that the best approach and actually best practice is probably for most companies and this maybe even more so applies to companies that that are just getting started with cbds and and i think with the the move to online we're seeing more and more companies start to to look at it as as a you know a marketing channel a marketing tactic uh, but you know for for most companies i think you know, the best practice is actually not to worry about certification to begin with or, you know, with a new piece of, of CPD content. And, you know, we, we kind of say that because if, if you, you know, let's say if you were going to create some new CPD content today, a new, a new CPD presentation today, you, you could spend the next couple of months or whatever it takes and, and probably quite a lot of money 
pursuing certification and go through that whole process only to find out in two or three months time the first time that you present it to anyone that actually the audience isn't particularly engaged or particularly interested or maybe no one even registers in, in the first place so all that money and time and effort you know is potentially completely wasted whereas if you kind of don't worry about the certification to begin with instead you know you could just announce a webinar today you'll find out whether it attracts people and they're engaged and then once you do it you can get their feedback on whether they found it useful and valuable and if not then change try something different maybe tweak the content a little bit um but yeah that that kind of iterative process and and experimentation i guess of trying different Mm. topics you know if you're not worried about certification you can do that much quicker um and the thing is like you can always you can always do certification later if you really felt it you know it it adds some value you can always if you find a hit you know a cbd that's that's really popular with people and you think it would improve it even further to have certification then you know do that a bit further down the line but i think you know one of the things that we have seen is still a lot of companies delaying and not taking advantage of you know the current demand for online CPD because they do think they need certification and they'll have to go through that process. So then they just don't bother when actually they could just get started right away. I think. Yeah, no, this is I'm, I'm loving this so far. There's some really good tangible information and, and techniques and strategies. I think listeners and companies from across the financial industry can really get their hands on. And we haven't really even touched much on your platform yet. So let's go into that a little bit. Specified by, this was the platform created by your, yourself to pretty much do part of what you're, you've been talking about, to connect product manufacturers directly to architects and specifiers on a simple online platform. How has this platform changed over its lifespan so far? And you know, how do you then see it developing in the future? Yeah, good question. Um, actually, just you, you did mention there a point about how a lot of what we do kind of aligns with some of the stuff that um, we've discussed, which is actually it's it's good to hear because um, I, I guess we do that on purpose in terms of we try to build the platform based on what we see in the market rather than the other way around of us trying to like force a platform or, or force a view to fit the platform. If yeah, that makes sure. sense. Um, but yeah, I, I think one of the you know one of the biggest changes or, or developments for us uh, as a company really, but which is then very much reflected in, in the product itself over, over the last few years has been you know really developing and and honing our understanding of product manufacturers and you know perhaps more specifically the goals and the challenges and the preferences of the you know the sales and the marketing teams in these companies so you know if if we go back to sort of the start you know i founded specified by because i was an architectural technologist who was frustrated about how much of a pain it was to find and compare construction products and all the information that i needed you know to make decisions and to get an understanding of products you know at times really was like pulling teeth <laughs> yeah uh, and you know so the initial goal was was just to try and fix that can we just make that process simpler and easier for specifiers for people like me that had experienced that um so this kind of meant that you know in the early days 
through myself and, and with a couple of other guys that joined the team that, that came from sort of architectural backgrounds as well. As an organization, we had you know a pretty good understanding of what we were building for specifiers and the problems that we were solving on that side. Mm. But when it came to the product manufacturers who you know we obviously needed to work with in terms of getting the product information and the data, you know, we, we were very naive on that side and you know basically we just had no clue how how you guys operated um really and you know, if if you think of you know we were at that time a bunch of kind of 20 something digital technology enthusiasts trying to yeah. build a technology startup um you know how we operated and uh, how we thought about the world and how we made decisions and all of these things, you know, probably couldn't be more opposite to a, a company that's been making bricks for a hundred years, for example. Yeah. Um, so we, we just had this like process to go through of, of, of learning. And, you know, a simple example of that was, you know, we figured things like um, the same as all the other technology companies that we knew they had like a self-service model where companies would put in their credit card details and be charged monthly for the service and all this. But we very quickly find in the construction product sector, you know, that, that wasn't at least at that time, um, the way that people bought things and and people weren't used to buying things in that way. Like, you know, software as a service and these kind of terms weren't probably, um, pretty well known. And, um, yeah, so, so we had, we had this kind of steep learning curve to go through and, you know, on the manufacturer side of the product then it, it definitely took us a bit longer to really develop that into something, you know, that, that we would say truly met the needs of sales and marketing teams. Yeah. Um, and that came by as we really, you know, we, we really need to understand that world, you know, your world much better before we could, we could do that. But, you know, I, I would say that today, whilst, you know, that focus on providing specifiers with the best experience possible will never change because ultimately it benefits the manufacturers as well. The the tools that we provide for manufacturers are now what we would consider market leading. Um, and, you know, we do spend a lot of time uh, iterating and improving on, on this side of things and, and actually probably more time on that side now than, than the specifier side. So. You know, I, th- I think we have now got to this point where we have, you know, hopefully this really deep, detailed understanding of our of our customers, which helps us figure out how to best help them going forward. And then when we kind of combine that with, you know, our insights and, and the data that we have access to on the specifier side, our kind of digital technology and marketing experience within the team, you know, when you mix all that together and, and the influences that we have from, from other sectors and other in, industries where we're always looking for inspiration, you know, I, I do think we're, we're pretty well placed, you know, to, to not only react to what the market needs, but actually maybe help lead where we, we can or, or could or should be going to as an industry sort of in the future. Yeah, that was, that was really fascinating listening to that. So thank you. It was, um, I love the honesty. But I suppose that that honesty with 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 yourselves as as a team and as that startup and realizing those things in the early stages has enabled you to create the the successful platform that is is going to be today and not only that but like you say really develop it and build it to exactly what your target audience wanted and needed from both sides of of, of your users. 
keeping on the platform, what currently is, is there one thing, is there a special feature of today or maybe something planning for the future that you're most looking forward to doing with the platform next? Is there, is there plans going forward? Yeah, so I'm sure as you can imagine, there's always a, a long list, a long to-do list of, <laughs> of things that we want to get to. But uh, I think I think one thing at the minute that we added recently uh, that's really interesting is an integration with a service called Zapier, uh, which for anyone who doesn't know is a tool which basically makes it really easy to connect one software system to another and, and create your own custom workflow so you know for example you could connect your email account with uh, google sheets and create a workflow where i'm not sure why exactly you would want this but you could create, create a workflow where every time you get an email from a specific person it automatically creates a new row in the spreadsheet with you know all the details from that email so, so that's the sort of thing that this tool allows you to do yeah so essentially with our integration um, it basically means that our, our customers, the manufacturers, can automatically pass details of the leads that we generate in our system on specified by and pass those directly to uh, any CRM system of their choice. So it doesn't matter which one you use, there will be this direct integration with it um, or, or to a Google Sheet or wherever else you would like yeah. you know, to send that information. So. Um, you know, that, that, that saves a lot of time. And I think, you know, the exciting thing with this particular feature is that you know, there's, there's so many possibilities, really. You know, we've, we've started with this very particular use case, which we knew that many of our customers kind of wanted or would benefit from. But really, you know, we're just getting started with this. And actually, we're, we're really excited and looking forward to seeing what our customers come up with in terms of how they can use this integration and, and build their own workflows and, and see where we go with that. Yeah, no, that sounds, sounds interesting. It's an interesting development, I think, as well, linking it into to your, your users and the customer CRMs. That's, that could be really powerful. Now, I mention this every podcast, and I don't think any podcast in 2020 has managed to get around it, but let's touch on, on COVID-19. Um, specifically around, you know, in COVID first took hold you know back in march when we're now into second lockdown um and i suppose this relates to now but did you see any traffic or usage changes when this come about and do you think that the changes that companies may potentially have made that you've seen because of covid at the beginning or, or now indeed are, are likely to stay post covid yeah so i think probably as with most online platforms certainly those in the same kind of space as us I think there was, um, you know, there was an initial drop off in, in traffic and, you know, in that immediate knee jerk reaction when lockdown first kicked in, where I think, you know, for most of us, it was a bit of a manic time and, and people had more important things to figure out in terms of what was what and what, what it all meant. Yeah. Um, but I would say after that, after that initial shock of those first couple of weeks, um, we saw a pretty steady increase in traffic. Uh, I think, you know, the reality of the situation was that architects and specifiers do a lot of their their job today sat at a, at a computer. You know, they're often working on on design um, or research, whether it's, you know, design or research and products and materials for projects. Quite often that is happening, you know, potentially many months or could even be years from actual construction. Uh, so, you know, the process for 
research and products for specification as an example wasn't really too badly disrupted from you know people having to work at home and, and whatever else okay. uh, and actually i think what we what we've seen is a lot of projects probably getting front loaded with these sort of research type tasks you know the, the things that you can easily still do when you're working from home at a computer um so we kind of feel like this probably led to the you know the actual increase in traffic was projects that you know maybe in, in normal circumstances there wouldn't have been any real detailed product research for another couple of months or whenever that would happen has been brought forward because you know it can be done now and there's maybe other things that can't so you know for us in, in real terms overall compared to the same period last year our traffic was up around 60 percent during lockdown now, what I would say is that I think I've seen, you know, a few people um, or platforms kind of tell a narrative about how architects and specifiers have, have now moved online since lockdown um, and sort of showcasing how you know, they can help facilitate this this change. Mm. Uh, and, and whilst I, I guess there's, there will be a little bit of that, like that's not exactly how we would see it in the... Um, you know, we, we kind of seen the architects and specifiers, actually, they, they were already online. Yeah. And certainly when it comes to product research, that's where that, that was happening already. So we don't think that anything has drastically changed on that side in terms of actually the behavior of architects and specifiers and, and you know, how they research products. Just as I mentioned before, it's probably more of these tasks have been brought into focus today that maybe would have happened later, um, you know, as things like site visits and client meetings and whatever else have kind of kind of, you know, gone off the table. Yeah. Um, but overall, you know, don't think that product research is necessarily happening online now more than it was because pretty much hundred percent of it was happening online anyway. Um, you know, probably the, the biggest change is actually that we've observed, um, probably related to CPDs, which, you know, we touched on a bit and, and generally how manufa- manufacturers are marketing their products. Uh, you know, certainly with CPDs, there's been a huge shift from, you know, what was almost an exclusively offline face-to-face marketing channel to one which currently is now almost completely online in the form of, webinars, recorded video content, Zoom meetings. Um, we, we could probably dedicate a whole a podcast to what I'll, we I'll think. book you in. <laughs> yeah, for, for, for what, we, you know, what we think this means for the evolution of, of CPDs and, and their role. And, and actually, I think there's exciting stuff going on there. But again, sort of touched on this a little bit before, one of the main things is that I think it has lowered the barrier to entry some more companies are, are now able or feel able to engage in, in CPD because, you know, instead of having to think about, you know, how do we get someone traveling up and down the country and uh, booking sessions and arranging lunches and whether that all works economically, you know, not, not all you have to do is host a webinar and, and share the details through social media um, or our newsletter um, and, you know, see who shows up. And mm. so, you know, this in turn kind of means that there's lots more choice and convenience for the, the architects and specifiers as well, which I think is leading to, to higher and better engagement. So, 
you know, with these benefits on both sides, I, I think that the the old face-to-face CBDs will still have a place, but I think online equivalents are kind of here to stay and might become, you know, the norm even when we can go back to face-to-face. Yeah, it, it's interesting, isn't it? And it, it's fascinating what you said, and you know, with the online aspect, because it it has always been there now for for some time, and now people have been, I suppose, forced into it. Um, it's, it's made it more more visible. More people are looking at it than they ever have done before. So I think you know you're probably right in the sense that there will be more of a use of online, and it will that will complement the offline rather than the other way around, which maybe it was was beforehand. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, marketers across all industries, regardless, need need to stop putting online and, and offline up against each other. I'm, I'm quite passionate about about that myself. Like, like they're enemies. Like, you know, we have online marketers and, and offline marketers. Yeah. They're, they're 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 the right channels in their own rights, and it's just utilizing both their strengths alongside one another. Exactly how you how you've described. However, I suppose the, the only thing that's guaranteed in, in one sense is that online will continue to grow in, in the options you can use and the technology that will continue to be developed that isn't even around yet. You mentioned uh, like data and, and stuff you know, with your email things and how you then use that data to, to help affect the platform. Do you have any views on, on data going forward or, these continu- or the continued increase of online use as such from manufacturers and construction industry? Yeah, so I think there's there's definitely been uh, increased demand from manufacturers to you know try to reach and engage specifiers online. You know, I think as you mentioned, there has been a little bit of forcing uh, people or forcing companies to to consider that. You know, we find ourselves in this situation where all of a sudden a lot of companies have been left looking at their marketing plans. And wondering, you know, how are we actually going to reach the people that we need to reach? Mm. Um, you know, a lot of regular kind of schedules of, you know, trade shows, the face-to-face CPD programs, you know, regional sales reps who would normally be out, you know, uh, visiting practices and, and developing those relationships. Print brochures being delivered and magazines being delivered to, to offices, you know, all of these things that you know typically make up the majority or, or at least play a large part in in the typical product manufacturers' budgets and plans. You know, almost overnight, we're just taken off the table, uh, and that's obviously been you know a massive challenge and, and a worry for lots of of companies in amongst all the other challenges and, and worries to think about. So I, I think like one um, potential um, kind of silver lining to all of that is that, you know, even though for many it probably doesn't look like it at the minute, I, I think that actually a lot of companies through this process are simply discovering better ways to market their products um, through the, the need to, to use channels that they've maybe not used before. Uh, you know, I mentioned already the architects and specifiers, you know, they've already moved their product research and specification process online. And, you know, in reality, that happened quite a while ago. But probably for most manufacturers, they've not completely adapted their sales and marketing strategies to completely align with that. And I think for many, they've seen this as, as the time, this is the time to do it, or they've been forced, you know, into a position where this is the time to do it. You know, in, in the very simplest terms, if, Ninety-eight um, percent of specifiers do their product research online. 
you know, why would you spend time or budget trying to reach them via a, a trade show in, in order to influence that, that research process? Uh, and, and I guess just to go to your point about, you know, things still having th- their place, I think it's going back to kind of the start. It's about understanding maybe which marketing channels influence um, people in different ways and in different parts of, of kind of that research process. So you can, you know, you can obviously target people very early on before they have a need, which is more like, I guess, like brand marketing type stuff, or you can also target people whilst they're specifically in that process of, of researching products and, and trying to get your product in front of them. So it's, it, I guess it's, it's less about what's right and what's wrong and more about understanding the role that the different channels play in that process. So I think what we've, we've seen is a lot of companies, actually, they have been embracing the new restrictions and, and they are discovering that they can reach lots of people and often, you know, lots more people or reach people more efficiently in a, in a much more targeted and timely way com- compared to some of their old processes that they were using. So, you know, m- my advice generally has been to companies throughout all of this that if you can take this opportunity to find, you know, go with the mindset of trying to find better ways to market your products because ultimately that that's all what we should all be doing anyway um, rather than just trying to find a stopgap until trade shows come back. Interesting. Well, I, you know, I've, I've loved listening to this and I think like you said when we were talking about CPDs earlier, we could go on for, for hours and hours and yeah. do many more podcasts. And it really is, it really is a fantastic insight. Um, and then there's some key points that we've, we've gone through, but consistency and utilizing all platforms specifically as part of a complete marketing mix and being where your audience goes are all really important. And I think you're right with the growth of online and companies, as well as individuals almost being forced into it more, there's even more scope to, to be had with it. I mentioned we could keep on talking, but I know I can't keep you forever. So I'm going to wrap it up there for today. But I think it has been such an in-depth and, and fascinating podcast. So I hope our, our listeners find it the same. Darren, thank you specifically for your time. It is really appreciated. One last thing before you go, then I promise that you can. you can. If people want to find out more about Specified Buy or get in touch with you and ask you questions, what's the best way to, to get in touch? Uh, just connect with, with me directly on LinkedIn. Just just look for Darren Lester um, or you can just go directly to the website. So check out specifiedbuy.com um, and and have a look at what we're doing there. Uh, but I, I appreciate you having me. It's been, it's been good to kind of chat through all this stuff and, and hopefully people find it useful. No, I'm, I'm sure they do. We'll be sure to put those those links as specified by in, in your LinkedIn profile on social media links. And we look forward to speaking to you again on the next episode of Mac Connect. Mm-hmm.